Well, good morning. Morning. It is good to be here. Uh, as Pastor Matt said, my name is Jonathan Newfelt. I am the Promontory Campus Pastor. So for the most part, on Sunday mornings, you will find me up in our Promontory Campus where we meet in the, the elementary school up there. But it is a joy uh, to be able to come down and to be able to uh, be here to worship with you all and to open the Word of God with you. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's where we're going to be this morning. Well, have you ever had the opportunity to go and drive in another country, right? Depending on where you go, that can be a very different experience, right? The rules of the road can change drastically depending on where you end up traveling. Well, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to fulfill a bit of a dream of mine, and that was to go to Germany and to drive on the Autobahn. Now... If you know anything about the Autobahn, it is famous because on certain sections there are no speed limits whatsoever, right? There's literally a sign on this road, it has the speed limit and then it's just crossed out, go. And I was wanting a chance to get to drive on this road. So a couple years ago, my dad and I were there and uh, a missionary was showing us around from a couple different churches and so we were driving for a stretch and uh, he looks over at me and says, well, d do you want to drive? And I thought to myself, yeah, I do. To make matters even better, actually, we were in a BMW at the time. And so he essentially looked over at me and said, do you want to drive this as fast as you possibly can? Yes, yes, I do. So we pull over at a rest stop, and we do the whole switcheroo, and I get into the driver's seat, and he goes, okay, hold on, there's just a couple rules here. He says, first of all, if there is a speed limit, you have to follow it. Okay, all right, that makes sense, I'll, I'll follow it. He said, secondly, if there is ever a car behind you, move over to the right as fast as possible. I thought, oh, okay, sure, yeah, I mean, that, that's fine, I'll get over, right, let, let people go by. But he seemed a little bit more insistent, and so anyways, we, we start driving on the road, and, and it was great. I mean, I got onto the road, and I just put my foot all the way down, and just held it there. <laughs> it was great. How often do you actually get to do that? And so we are going along, and, and I think we were doing, you know, sort of 200 plus kilometers an hour, and I am just loving it, right? This is great. And so we're flying along, and, and sure enough, I see in my rearview mirror, way, way back there, little yellow car, and I think to myself, well, okay, he told me to get over, I should probably get over, right? He's way back there, I've probably got time, but why don't I just get over now? So sure enough, I pull over, and as I'm doing that, all of a sudden, that little yellow Porsche, as it turned out, flies by me. I mean, it was like I was standing still, all of a sudden, boom, this guy's gone. And I thought, oh, I mean, I'm doing 200. Whatever he is doing is making me look like I'm standing still. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. There was a very good reason for that rule, wasn't there? There was a very good reason for him telling me, get over as soon as you see someone behind you. Yeah, because a collision between someone doing 200 and 300 is a mess, right? The rule actually had a purpose. There was, there was a reason behind it. And the truth is, we see that even on, on our roads. We don't have to go to Germany, right? There's a reason that we should stop at a red light. Right? It's because if we don't, we're likely to cause a massive accident. Right? The rule has a purpose. Well, in fact, the same thing is true in the church as well. 
See, if you've been with us for the past number of weeks, we have been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and for the past three chapters, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. That is, what they are and why we are given them, and in fact, what some of them even look like. And this morning, he's going to conclude that section by explaining how we are to use them. Here here are the, the rules of the road for the church. And you might be tempted to say, oh, great, a whole sermon on rules. That sounds great. All right, well, here's my encouragement. Paul is not giving this because he just really likes rules. No, actually, he has a purpose for it. There, there's a reason that he is giving these commands, these instructions for how they are to use their spiritual gifts. So we're going to read this morning in chapter 14, starting in verse 26. But just before I get there, I have one more thing to say. And that is, about halfway through this passage, you may find suddenly it gets really uncomfortable, all right? It's going to get really sort of uncomfortable for just a moment. Here is what I am saying. One, I know it's there. Two, we are going to talk about it, all right? It's not going to be the elephant in the room that we don't address. It's going to be the elephant in the room that we do talk about, all right? So I'm not sure if that encourages you or comforts you, but that's where we are going to go. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 26. Follow along with me. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. There it is. (laughs) Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right. Well, after that, let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, that you do speak to us, that you instruct us, that you challenge us, and that even at times you rebuke and call us to think very carefully. Father, this morning as we look at your word, would you give us soft, open hearts to hear what you have to say, to understand your word carefully. Father, as we seek to build one another up in the church, as we use our spiritual gifts so that we might be a living demonstration of who you are, Father, I pray, would you build your church. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, this morning, we, we are looking at a difficult text, right? That's pretty obvious at this point. But what I want us to see just right off the bat, what I want us to see is that actually the, the most controversial part of this chapter is not really the main point, right? Actually, the main point is actually fairly simple for us to see. The, his point here that Paul is giving is that the church ought to be ordered so that people are built up and God's character is reflected. Really, that's what Paul is arguing for. That's what he is looking for. So I don't want us to, to miss that point in all of the details that we need to, to work through here. But you might say, okay, I mean, if, if that's really the main point, why don't we just talk about that? Why don't we just ignore all of the, the, the messy stuff? Why, why are we gonna talk about, about that? Shouldn't we just kind of skip over that? Well, let me give you here three quick reasons why I think it's actually worthwhile for us to look at it, okay? Three quick reasons. Number one, it's in there, right? We can't get away from it. This is literally in our Bibles, so we're gonna have to deal with it at some point, right? One of the big criticisms of the church and Christianity in general is that we often just wanna pick and choose which parts of the Bible we believe and we ignore the ones we don't like. I don't want that to be true of this church, we're going to actually understand all of the Bible and all of what God has given to us. That's number one. It's in there. Number two, these passages actually make us into better Bible students. When we actually come across something like this that just kind of shocks and challenges us, it naturally makes us want to go, you know what? I need to understand that. I need to work with that. I've got to be careful as I read through the Bible. And actually, that's a good thing. I appreciate when the Word of God actually challenges us like that. Thirdly, it's actually for our benefit. Paul says, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. So even this text is going to be for our good. So let's dive into this. I, yeah, is it gonna be difficult? Yeah, a little bit. We're gonna have to think carefully through what Paul is saying. But ultimately, it will be for our benefit to do so. So let's walk through this text, and I've just broken it down into two halves. First half is that the church has an order to it. The church is ordered. The second half is that the church is ordered by Scripture. All right? And we're going to spend most of our time in the first half. So let's, let's walk through this. Verse 26, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Right, here's Paul's main point, and it's been the main point that he's had for the last number of chapters. Everything that we do in the church has a purpose, and the purpose is so that we would build one another up, that we would actually strengthen the faith of the people around us as we use our spiritual gifts. Paul has been saying that now for chapters, right? And so we shouldn't be terribly surprised when we find it here again as he concludes this section. But then Paul begins to get very specific, doesn't he? Right? He starts narrowing that down and describing how that takes place. Verse 26, or 27, he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret all right, Paul starts to now apply. He starts to, to apply what he has taught them about tongues, about the gift of tongues, and how it should be used in the church. Last week, Pastor Jason walked us through the first half of this chapter, and he looked at what tongues means. How are we to understand it? And I'm not going to repeat everything he said, but 
His main point in terms of tongues is that it wasn't understood. And so it needed someone to interpret the tongues for anyone else to be built up. If the goal of using these gifts was to build up the body, we have to actually understand it in order for it to be built up. So Paul says there has to be an interpreter. Well, what happens if there isn't? Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul says, look, if if you don't have someone now to translate, how are you to use this spiritual gift? Paul says, be silent. You you just pray sort of to yourself, to God, but you're not speaking out in the church, right? Paul was serious about making sure that everything that was done was for building up. That was the purpose he wanted them to get. In fact, he says the same thing about those who who give uh, a prophecy, Verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said, right? It's a similar pattern. Have two or three in order, they are to come up and they can give a prophecy. And then Paul says it needs to be weighed or or judged. Now we'll come back to that in just a moment. But what I want us to see here is that Paul is saying the church actually needs to be ordered in how it conducts itself. It's not a yelling match. It's not a shouting match to try and be heard, right? The loudest person is the most influential. No, that's not what the church looks like. You see, I'm sure Paul had in mind a little bit the how the, uh, the pagan temples would work, right? Corinth was filled with all of these idol temples, and oftentimes what would happen is there would be someone who was an oracle, and they would receive a, a message, a word from their God, and they'd just start speaking, And people would start calling back and say, hey, what about this? What about that? And then someone else would say, well, I have now a word. And they would start speaking, and they're just crossing over one another, and it turns into chaos. Paul says that's not what the church is going to be like. Verse 30, he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. See, again, Paul says... There is a reason for the order that I am talking about. It's so that all might learn, all might be encouraged. No one can learn anything if you're just trying to, you know, hear who is shouting what, and it's this chaos going on that doesn't promote good order, that doesn't actually allow people to learn. In fact, it's very interesting. He adds in this little verse 32, isn't it? It's as if Paul is kind of expecting uh, uh, another question. Because someone says, well, what do I do? Let's say I'm sitting there, and suddenly God puts something on my heart. Should I not just immediately say it out loud? Hey, I have something from God, and just interrupt everything. And Paul says, no. Why? Verse 32. He says that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. He's saying, actually, you can control it. It's not an uncontrollable outburst, but rather it's going to be something that is to build up the church. And then he gives them another reason. Verse 33, he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So reason one he gives is that others might be built up. Reason two is so that the church could actually be a reflection of God himself. So to those who are saying, well, I couldn't possibly control this outburst, it just had to come. Paul's saying, actually, that doesn't reflect God because he's not a God of confusion, right? It's it's the same reason why Paul says that 
uh, the church is to weigh the prophecies. They're, they're to judge the people or the, the prophecies that people come up with. Why? Well, you can imagine the scenario, right? Someone gets up and they say, I have a word from God. We need to do this, right? Whatever this might be. And then the second person gets up and says, I have a word from God. We should not do that. Okay, now what do we do? How do we discern? How do we figure out what's right? How do we figure out what we are to do? And Paul says, you are to weigh these prophecies. They are to be judged. The question is, well, how and who? Who is to make these decisions? Who is to be weighing these prophecies? Verse 29 simply says, the others. And we're left to kind of scratch our heads and say, well, who exactly is that? But while Paul doesn't explicitly say it here, I think from the rest of the Bible, we can kind of get a picture of who Paul expects to be those giving theological discernment to the church. In fact, throughout the Bible, Paul, set, or, yeah, Paul gives elders to the church. They were tasked with that theological discernment. So Titus chapter 1 Paul describes what an elder is to do. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. One of the job of the elders was to be a discerner, to know the truth and discern what is right and what is not. And so, when it came to the matter of prophecy, someone giving a word from God, it was the elders who would give that discerning role into the church. And so Paul has in mind that the church ought, as they meet, ought to be doing things in order. Why? Because it's a reflection of God and so that others might be built up. Right? God is a God of peace. God is a God of order. Even think back all the way to Genesis chapter 1. It says God created the heavens and the earth and what? The earth was formless and without void. And then what does God begin to do? God begins to bring order into creation. He separates, he's got the sun and the moon in their places. He separates day and night so that it's ordered. The stars in the sky and the, and the earth below, the waters and the land, and he gives to the, to, uh, to the fish the waters, to the animals the land, to the air the birds, and all of the things God orders as he wants. If God is a God of order, should not his church reflect that? See, it's the purpose that, God, that Paul has in this passage, that we would be a living display of the character of God. So the question we need to ask then, and I hope it's the question that's kind of been burning in the back of your mind, it's the question of, do we do this? I, I mean, here at Central, do we do this? Are we actually obeying these commands? Because there's lots of times when Paul is difficult to understand. This one, he's being pretty clear, right? Two or three, if I can get my fingers right, two or three. People are to come up and give tongues. Two or three are to give prophecy. So do we do that, right? You've all sat through most of one of our services. We don't have a, a mic up front. Are, are we disobeying this? Right? We have a value here at the church that we are rooted in the word of God. Up in Promontory, it's literally on a banner right beside me as we're preaching. Are we just disobeying the Bible? Now, you might be able to guess my answer being that I'm a pastor here, but how do we apply this? What exactly is Paul saying? So here's my answer. 
Knowing even that there are churches who are going to come to different conclusions, here how, here's how I'm going to work through this passage. See, in the New Testament, there are two different gatherings of believers. There is a large group gathering, and there are small gatherings in homes, right? If you remember Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, the church is born, right? Peter gets up filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches this sermon in which 3,000 people are saved. The church explodes onto the scene. Boom, there it is. Now, we know lots of those people, they were visiting from out of town, right? So let's just say two-thirds of them all leave. They're the first missionaries that Paul send, or that God sends out, right? 2,000 of them go away. That still leaves 1,000 people in Jerusalem in this church, and Acts says, actually, there's more and more added every day. And here's how the church is described, Acts chapter 2. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So even right away in Acts, there were two different gatherings. One large church all together, they met in Solomon's portico. They, they essentially just rented out space for them all to meet together, and then they would meet in the homes in small groups. In fact, the same pattern continues in Acts chapter 19. Paul goes and he, uh, he is preaching in Ephesus, and it says that he rented out the hall of Tyrannus so that he could teach. It was a large lecture hall so that he could get everyone together and they could hear the word of God, even while they met in homes throughout the city. See, it seems to be a pattern that there are two meetings, the large and then the small. So which is Paul talking about here? Well, I would argue that he is primarily thinking of a small gathering of believers. And here's why. Look at verse 26. He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Right? The expectation is that everyone is participating, even while Paul says that you are to limit it to two or three. Paul doesn't have in mind a large gathering of believers. It seems as though he's looking at a small, intimate gathering of believers in which they are expected to use their spiritual gifts to build up the church. So I think the best place that we can apply this is what we do at Central here called life groups. As small groups of Christians that meet together in homes in order to use our spiritual gifts and build one another up. I think that's exactly how we are called to be applying this passage. Our life groups are not just social hangouts. It's not a gossip club or a place to complain about all the things we don't like. Actually, the, our life groups are intended to be places in which we use our spiritual gifts to build up others. Right? That's where we expect we would see the gifts of hospitality, of encouragement. Those things happen in a life group. And I'm going to say it's also where we'd expect to see tongues and prophecy. And I'd say, wait, wait really? Like, we, we can pray in tongues in our life group? Yeah. If there's an interpreter, go for it. It's the place where Paul is expecting these things are to happen. So let me say this then. If you're here and you're not part of a life group, if you're just kind of coming Sunday morning and, and you talk to maybe one person and then you're gone, I'm going to say you're probably missing out on half the church. You're missing out on the place where you can be built up and grow in your faith and actually where God might be gifting you to be used to build up others as well. 
right? You've probably heard the story, or at least one like it. Maybe you've even lived it. You start coming to a church and you kind of like it, right? The music's nice. The regular preacher's a lot better, right? And, and you kind of enjoy it, and, but you're just kind of coming. You don't know anyone, and you just show up and you go home, and that's it. And it's not until you actually start getting involved, you start serving, you start using your spiritual gifts, you get connected with a small group of believers that it turns from just a crowd of people to now something I belong to and I'm participating in, and actually now I'm a part of what God is doing here in this city. See, I think that's exactly what God intends the church to look like. It wasn't an accident that it happens that way. It's what God intends for us to do. So here's my encouragement. Get involved in a life group. Go sign up at the welcome desk, fill out one of the the connect cards, flood Pastor Jason's email with just a thousand requests to get involved in life groups, right? Because if we do that, by the way, we're going to need people to to actually start using their gifts. We're going to need people to, to, to lead in life groups. We're going to need people who have the gifts of hospitality, who've got gifts of administration, who've got gifts of wisdom and knowledge and teaching and all of these gifts. We need all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit if we are going to make this happen. God ordained that the church would work that way. It's like he had a plan. He did. The rules he gave actually had a reason so that everyone would be built up, so that the character of God would be seen. God's order has a purpose. You might say, okay, wow, that that, that all sounds great. But what about those other two verses, right? Those really tough ones. How does that actually help us understand them? Let me read it again, verse 34. It says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. All right, well, what do we do with this? All right, well, I think the place for us to actually begin this conversation is where Paul has already taken us. You see, back in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul actually says that women are to be praying and prophesying in the church. That means they are expected to be opening their mouths and using their spiritual gifts in the church. Therefore, I'm going to say, when Paul says they are to be silent, he doesn't mean just mouths shut, can't ever utter a word. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. And in fact, our, our context here actually helps us understand this a little bit more. You see, Paul is talking to, the, uh, to those who have the gift of tongues, And he says, there's a time for you to speak, and there's a time for you to be silent. He says to those who prophesy, there's a time for you to speak, and there's a time for you to be silent. And I think he's saying to the women here, there's a time for you to speak, and there's a time for you to be silent. So what is that? What is that time? How do we understand that? Now, I'll be honest here, Paul doesn't make it explicitly clear for us. Assumedly, the Corinthians already understood exactly what Paul was saying, but we stand here a couple thousand years later and kind of scratch our heads and say, what what are you talking about, Paul? So here, let me give you again my best explanation of a tough passage. Paul's been talking about prophecy. He has told the Corinthians they are to weigh and to judge that prophecy, And so this would have happened through a number of things. They would have asked questions of the person and sort of interrogated them, to use kind of our language. And I think this is the area in which Paul is talking about as it relates to eldership. 
See, elsewhere in the Bible, Paul makes this much clearer and actually has a very similar way of speaking about this issue. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's very similar language, but the context is much clearer in 1 Timothy. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That is the office of an elder or an overseer. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Again, not that she can't speak in the church, but as it relates to that authority. Then he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So here Paul is talking about an elder, and he is saying that what he has commanded relates to the law. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, as the law also says, again, not telling us exactly where, but I think this is what he had in mind. He had in mind the book of Genesis, and when God actually created humanity, and as he ordered humanity to function, God created Adam, and he gave him charge over the earth, and then said, now you're going to need help, and he created Eve. She was to be his counterpart, the part that he was missing, the one that he needed if he was going to accomplish what God had set before him. But God said, Adam, you are called to leadership. And so when Paul then looks at the church, he takes this same biblical principle and relates it into the church that the way that God ordered humanity, so is the church created to function, as the church was to be a reflection of God's own character. See, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've seen a number of times as we've been going through that, that God actually exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each of them are to play a unique role in our salvation. The Father has authority and sends the Son who goes in submission to him and then sends the Holy Spirit as well all fully, equally God, yet playing a different role as it turns into our salvation. And so I think what Paul is saying is that we as the church are called to reflect that complex beauty of God. God is not simple, he is complex. And so that as we build one another up, we are all called to play a different role in the gifts that we have, not because one is better or greater, but rather so that all might be done for our building up in the faith. So then Paul then applies that biblical principle into their context. He says, what happens when a woman wants to learn something, wants to know something as she should be growing in her faith? The problem is, in a Roman context, it would have been a shameful thing, it would have been an improper thing for a woman to address another man who was not her husband in public. That was not to be done, and so Paul then gives directions, how is she called then to learn? She is to ask her husband at home. I think that's why he uses this word shameful, not because it relates to the biblical command, but because it relates to their culture. So the question is, do we live in that culture? I'd answer no. Is it shameful for a woman to speak to a man? No. And so the way that we're going to apply the biblical principle is going to look different. So how do we then apply it? What does that look like? So here's what I'm going to say. Men, you are called to lead. I love the way that John Chrysostom puts it. He was a pastor back in the fourth century, and this is how he says it. He says about this verse, for so he, Paul, 
both rendered the women orderly, that is, explained where they were to speak and where they were called to be silent, and the husbands he made anxious as having to deliver to their wives very exactly what they heard. See, Paul says, actually, men, you're called on to lead, and you're called on to be able to teach and lead your wives spiritually in the home. So I guess that means, husbands, you have to be able to preach this exact sermon when you get home. No, no, I'm kidding. It is a call that you are to be the spiritual leader in your home. This doesn't mean women can't study the Bible, they can't ask questions in church, or that they have to be silent, that they can't use their spiritual gift or can't speak. It's a call for men to step up and lead well. You might say, yeah, but you don't know how smart my wife is. And I'd say, good. It sounds like God has given you a good challenge. Wives, be that challenge. Right? God has so ordered the church that both men and women are called to use their spiritual gifts. There are times where we are called to speak, and there are times where we are called to be silent. The problem is, I'm going to say, too many husbands have been silent when they need to be speaking. God ordered the church this way, not because it would, uh, not because he just wanted to as a whim, but that it would be a reflection of him. Back in chapter 12, Paul gives the analogy of a body. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Rather, all the different parts are needed for the body to be able to function properly. God has placed us in the church to play out our distinct roles so that as a whole we would reflect the intricate, complex beauty of God himself. Not on the basis of inequality, but the beautiful arrangement of equals, contributing so that all might be encouraged and built up into the image of God. The order in the church should reflect the God who ordered it. This is a high calling. This is a tough passage to work through, and I think actually Paul even recognized that himself. See, the second half of this passage, really the the last bit that he Uh, starts in verse 36. I've just called the churches to be ordered by Scripture. And this is what Paul says. He says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. You see, the Corinthian church had in their minds that those who had certain gifts gifts like tongues, gifts like prophecy, gifts like knowledge, they were the the more spiritual ones. They they were doing better with God if you had those kinds of, of gifts, and so they were making them into the leaders. They would just follow after them. And Paul says, actually, the church is to be ordered by Scripture, by the commands of the Lord that Paul himself was actually giving, Right? The way that we do church is to be ordered by the Bible, not by tradition, not by the sudden thought that enters into our minds, or even sometimes what seems right to us, but we are called to submit to the command God has given. Second Peter chapter one, he says this. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Paul's saying actually the commands of God, they come with an authority, and Paul even recognized that's what he himself was doing. Now, we could probably preach a whole nother sermon just on that topic, and it would open up another can of worms for us to deal with it, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Let me simply say this. Our commitment is always to be that we will be faithful to the command and the call of God, that we will say with our whole hearts, wherever God calls me, there I will follow. I had a Bible teacher once say to me, I would rather have holes in my theology than holes in my Bible. What he meant by that is I'd rather be corrected by the Bible than try and punch a hole through my Bible with what I think. It's a call for us, would we submit ourselves to the word of God, even when it's tough? So how do we wrap this all together? How do we actually bring this all together? Paul says in verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So even after all that, the point of the message is still the same. Let us use our spiritual gifts in such a way to build up the body, to reflect uh, the character of God. And it's interesting here, Paul both begins and ends this passage by calling them brothers. It's as if he needed to remind them that even amongst everything else that's being said, they were knit together as the family of God, that as Jesus has adopted them into his household. So here's what I want us to see as we close. It's easy in a passage like this to miss the forest for the trees. It's easy for us to get caught up in all the details and think that what we really need to do is just follow all of the little commands that Paul has, as if that by itself would endear us to God. See, I gave the example of driving down the road And the truth is, if you follow the rules of the road, the purpose will be achieved. It doesn't matter how much you're sitting at the red light screaming at it, telling it to go, green, come on, hurry up, I'm late. It doesn't matter. The purpose is still accomplished simply by following the rules. That's not the case in the church. See, Paul wrote chapter 13 of Corinthians for a reason. He needed to remind them, it doesn't matter if you have every single spiritual gift, if you have all tongues, all prophecy, all knowledge, if you give away everything you have, but you have not love, you have missed the point entirely. It would be useless. And the trouble is, this could be a useless sermon. If we simply make up a new legalistic set of rules for us to check off as if that were what Paul was looking towards. No, Paul is looking for a church that reflects God, not simply in our order, but in the life and the love that we have for one another. It would be as useless as learning all the rules to the road, but never starting the car. Paul expects that the church should be a reflection of Jesus. And you know what that means? It means more than anything, we need Jesus. It means more than anything, we need Jesus to be transforming our hearts. We need Jesus to be forgiving us of our sins, to getting us out of that bondage in sin and bringing us to a new life so that we can actually follow what he calls us to do, so that we can be that reflection of God. 
Paul explains to us how we are to follow him, but it's not an excuse to not follow. We need Jesus to actually impact and transform our lives. And that's actually the call for us this morning. Let Jesus transform our church so that the order that is reflected would not simply be the new legalism, but actually it would be the overflow of a life that is so invested and so rooted in Jesus that it transforms what we do. As we close this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as we do, I just want to pray for exactly that. I want to pray that God would be transforming our lives, that we would look like that reflection of God, that we would not get bogged down in all of the details, but that the love that Jesus Christ has shown us might permeate everything that we do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for challenging us for at times rebuking us, for leading us, for correcting us, for training us for righteousness. Lord God, I pray, would we not come to this and see a new list of rules, but a calling to live according to how Jesus has put before us. Father, we do not do these things in our power, so Lord, transform our lives. Would you root out the sin that lays dormant and would you replace it with overwhelming love that the love of God might be seen in our order, in all of what you have called us to do. We ask these things in your name. Amen.